This is the fourth week. But it's, uh, it's the fourth week that I've been sharing it with you, but it's the culmination of several months of contemplations in my own heart that I have had the, uh, the privilege of looking deep into a biblical mystery and meditating on it until it becomes more than just a, a doctrine in the Scripture. It becomes a life-giving principle, something that I'm able to... I'm able to search out and extract the life of it as it applies for me personally, but I'm also at the place where I'm moved emotionally by it enough that I want to share it with you. And I also have arrived at the place where I feel confident in sharing this particular doctrine with you. I've been talking to you for the last few weeks, and it takes a compilation of ministry gifts in order for this to be accomplished. As I stand here today, I've prayed sincerely that, number one, the teaching gift would emerge. That's very important because I want you to learn this principle. It can change your life. And I mean that. Your Christian experience can be radically altered with the revelation that comes. I pray for a prophetical gifting. The spirit of prophecy, I believe in it, inspired utterance God can give, whether it be through the pulpit publicly or whether it's through private ministry at the altar. And we're still going to have an opportunity to come forward and pray here in a few moments. And, and I certainly pray for that pastoral gift, which I think is always necessary to minister to, to God's people. I've been teaching you in the last few weeks from this vein. It's a question that I've been asking. Uh, it says, who is the Israel of God? We shared it the last three Sundays, and we've extracted this particular phrase from Galatians, the 6th chapter and the 16th verse. In context, it's the 14th through the 16th verse. If we can, we'll go ahead and read that. Now, that's not necessarily our main text today. However, I think after we read it, we should still, or as we read it, we should stand in honor of the reading of this particular scripture today. And we'll allow that to be our moment of recognition of these other scriptures. Now, a week ago Sunday, I shared with you that I felt like it was important for me to do more than just attempt to quote verses of scripture to you, but actually take the time to turn. There'll be a couple of passages of scripture either on the screen or you turn in your Bible or your iPhone or your iPad, however you have found the scriptures or wherever you have placed them that you can find them. I think it's important that you actually read this because as you read it, remember what Paul said in Ephesians, the third chapter. He said, it was his prayer. He said, I pray that as you read, you understand my knowledge in this mystery. And that's the mystery that I've been talking to you about for the last three weeks. It is the inclusion of the Gentiles into the covenant of faith. It is a belief system and a recognition of the power of Jesus' redemptive death on the cross, how that in Ephesians 2 it says he tore down a middle wall of partition that separated two people groups, faithful Jews who believed and Gentiles who did not believe through the death of Jesus Christ, we could become one new man. Come on, somebody. Now, there are variations of theology concerning this principle. And as you search it out, you might be one particular angle. I know the angle that I'm taking. I can't say it's, it's absorbed and it's shared by all those in Christian leadership, but it's working for me. So would you all stand up today, Galatians, the sixth chapter, the 14th verse. We stand because we do so in honor of the Word of God. Come on, it's a principle that we've learned from the Word of God. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. Hold right there. Now remember the context. Through the end of the book of Galatians, the apostle Paul is affirming that neither circumcision which is a mark of Judaism, and he is, has spent a lot of time in the epistle clarifying that that mark of circumcision did not necessarily make you a faith, that it is by faith that we believe and we become included into the family of God. So here he's saying, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but it's rather are you a new creature? Are you a new creation in Christ Jesus? Old things pass away, all things become new. We become born again by the Holy Spirit, right? This is a work of the Spirit. It goes beyond the natural realm, the natural man. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. 16th verse, And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them 
and mercy, and there's the phrase, upon the Israel of God. Upon the Israel of God. And what I've been going through a process is to teach you that I think many in the modern church do not fully understand the distinction between Israel after the flesh, which would include modern Israel, and though we, we support modern Israel and we're behind them, that their distinction between, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, Israel after the flesh. And here he said the Israel of God. The Israel of God is the inclusion of the Gentiles into the faithful remnant of believers who continued in the lineage of Abraham, not just by natural lineage, but by faith. For the Bible says that Abraham was justified by faith. Abraham believed God, and from that belief, it was accounted unto him that he was righteous. And you and I believe God, and we've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And the more you understand that, the greater freedom you'll live your life with, the greater confidence you'll have in Christ, not an arrogance, because that's a stench in the nostrils of God. Not proud, boastful, spirit, a haughty spirit, but rather humbling yourself in sincere appreciation for the redemptive work of Jesus. Remember who we were. We were afar off. Remember that. We were afar off, but now we've been brought nigh by virtue of the blood of Jesus Christ. So who is, hopefully you can be able to answer this in your own heart, who is the Israel of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask today in the name of Jesus that you would bless today, God, this service. Let the word of God be quickened in our hearts and in our minds. I pray today, Father, that nothing would distract us, nothing would hinder us today, God. Nothing would prohibit the word of God from flowing freely in our midst, Father, in the name of Jesus. Thank you for what we've learned thus far, but thank you where we're going to go today, Father, and may it produce a great revelation, Father, in our spirits. God, it's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's children said, amen, amen and amen. Please give me just a few moments to backtrack, and I'm going to take you where I concluded last week, but there's a couple of things that I would like to just briefly connect as I went through the end of last week's message. Because of time, I had to move uh, very quickly through a couple of passages of Scripture. I only want to note those today. And it was in the second and the third chapter, but the end of the second chapter where the Apostle Paul is writing to the Roman church, which includes both Jews and Gentiles, which is the one new man, but he's still addressing the lingering effects of Judaism even in the church. And Paul uses strong language when he said that a Jew is not one outwardly. He said, a Jew is one inwardly. He said, circumcision is not of the flesh. Circumcision was the mark of the covenant that God had made with Abraham. That all the men of his household, including his servants, would be circumcised as a mark that they were of his household, of his lineage, and of the covenant that he had made with God. And so Paul, through the revelation that's given to him, is teaching both the Jews and the Gentiles that he said circumcision now that the cross has altered everything. The cross has changed everything. How many of you believe that? The cross has changed everything. He said now it's not whether or not to, that you're a Jew on the outside and your flesh is circumcised. It's whether you're circumcised in your heart whether you have faith and whether you believe. Paul had also taught us in the third chapter of the book of Galatians, and we've spent uh, much time, not last week, but two weeks ago, the Bible plainly uses this language, that first of all, we know that Abraham was blessed. How many of you believe that? Genesis 12, God promised him. He said, I will bless you. I will make of you a great nation. Matter of fact, he said this, you're going to be blessed to be a blessing. What a powerful way to live your life. Not to hoard those blessings, but to share and distribute those blessings. What a perception that we have of what Christ has done in us when we get up every day with value and purpose, whether it's sharing your life through the call or whether it's sharing in youth ministry or whether it's a prayer group or whatever the case is, you know you have been blessed, equipped, and gifted by God to be a blessing. Come on, somebody. Amen. With that, in Galatians 6, or excuse me, Galatians 3, verses 6 through 9, the Apostle Paul concludes then that those who are of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. 
that included the Gentiles. This corresponds with the teaching that he made in the book of Ephesians, us also in the book of Colossians, certainly in the book of Romans, and definitely in the extension of his teaching in the book of Galatians. It's not according to our flesh. It's not our natural heritage today that makes us the children of God. It's whether or not you can believe. In Romans 10, it says, Whosoever, whosoever believes in his heart and confesses in his, with his mouth. Why does he use that language? He's writing to both Jews and Gentiles. And he says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So salvation is worldwide. It's available. And when you come in, you are adopted into the family of God. And I'm telling you, I'd rather be an orphan in the house of God, adopted into the family of God, where then I no longer really am an orphan. I'm a son or a daughter of God. Come on, somebody. Amen? It's a powerful revelation. As I was concluding last week, I used this word, remnant. And I was alluding to what Paul said in Romans 9, that a remnant of natural Israel would be saved. A remnant. In Paul's day, in our time, some believe that there may be a salvation of all of national Israel at a later date and time. I don't argue for or against that point, but as of the time the Apostle Paul wrote this, and I'd like to show that verse, Romans 9 and 27, because and I want to talk about the remnant. You have to understand very briefly of who you're connected to. I want you to see that when God wove you into the fabric of this faith and and the two became one, who is it that I became joined to by Christ? Who are my brothers and sisters? In the, is it Jewish community as a whole or is it a remnant? Romans 9 and 27 says, and again, the apostle here is, is, is quoting back into the book of Isaiah. Isaiah writes, he says, concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, look what he said. A remnant shall be saved. Now, anybody that's ever a seamstress or done any sewing, you understand what a remnant is, right? It's, right? You understand? So let's go on down to the, uh, to the I think it's the uh, 11th chapter, verses 1 through 5, that I'd like for you to see this word because I want you to understand that the Apostle Paul has been teaching in the book of Romans, and you and I have got to get a hold of this. And I want you to know this does this revelation, you have to ponder this and meditate upon it and contemplate it to see this fully. He said, I say God has not cast away his people. He hasn't cast away all of Israel because Paul said, I am an Israelite. He said, I'm of the seed of Abraham, of the natural lineage. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Second verse, God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknow. What ye not what the scripture saith of Elijah, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel. Remember during the days of the apostasy when, the, uh, when Ahab had infiltrated the nation with Baal worship and Elijah is praying on uh, Mount Sinai after his 40-day journey and he said, Lord, they have killed thy prophets, they have dug down thy altars and I'm the only one left. He's having a moment where he feels like he's the only man of faith left and God speaks to him and he said, and they're trying to kill me as well. Fourth verse, but what was God's answer to him? This is Paul writing. But what saith the answer of God to him? God said, I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. So he's teaching a principle. He said, so even so then at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And so the principle that the Apostle Paul is teaching is that in the, in, in, in the branch of the natural lineage of Abraham, which were the children of promise, the seed of Isaac, he said, there are many that do not believe. We're going to look at that in greater detail. He said, but historically, there's always been a remnant. I said this last week to you in closing that unfortunately the failure of the Jewish people was that they often fell into apostasy. If you read the books of 1st and 2nd Kings and 1st and 2nd Chronicles and you trace the history of ancient Israel, you will find that they were not always the people zealous of God, but that their religion was quickly distorted and perverted and then they became like all the other Gentile nations around them. 
But all throughout their history, God has affirmed to us that he had a remnant. I'd like to give you a little bit of an example of this, and we may go to the screen so that you can see it. In the book of Numbers, children of Israel have uh, moved from the base of Mount Sinai, or perhaps are, are at the, still at the camp there, or I think they've moved from the base of Mount Sinai, and they're in their wilderness journey, journeys, but the 40-year period of temptation has not been passed on them as of yet. So Moses is sending 12 spies. Does anybody remember the 12 spies? Let's put it on the screen. I think in the beginning in Numbers chapter 13, just a couple of verses I want you to see. He said, I want you to send a man from each tribe, which would be 12, notice who it is, that they would be a ruler among them for the purpose of searching out the land. I think there's another verse I'd like to connect with that immediately following for the purpose of seeing it. Look what his purpose is. So he's going to send 12 chosen leaders, men who are proven in their uh, national lineage and their heritage and their family. He said that when they go into the land, Canaan's land, the promised land, that they can visibly see the land and the people that dwelleth therein, whether they be strong or weak, few or many. And so they go for 40 days and they look at the land. They go to the northern part of Israel and the southern part of Israel. And it's not Israel at that time. It's the promised land or Canaan's land. It's inhabited by seven tribes that are known as the Canaanites. And, and so at the end of 40 days, the men return. When they return, they have a great big church service just like this. They give everybody an opportunity to speak and share what they had now seen. They even brought testimony, and it was actually what they call a visually aided sermon because they brought back a cluster of grapes on a stave that took two men to... Have you ever carried a cluster of grapes so large that two men had to carry it on a stave? And so they begin to share about this service. And so here's their exhortation. They begin to tell the people and Moses and said, we came into the land whether you sent us, and it is a, man, it is a land that floweth with milk and honey, and this, look at visual aid, this is the fruit of it, 28th verse. But nevertheless, that's a dangerous word at times, but nevertheless, the people are strong that dwell in the land. The cities are walled. They're very great. Moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land in the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the, Cellulite, the Canaanites dwell by the sea and the coast of Jordan. Let's go a little further. And the men that went up with him said, here was their testimony to what they had seen. They had seen the bounty of the land, but they saw the inhabitants of the land. And look what they said. We are not able to go up against them. We're not able to go up against the people for they're stronger than we are. Let's go a little bit further. And so they brought an evil report of the land which they had searched out. And the land which we have gone to search it, look at this, it is a land that eats up the inhabitants thereof. All the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. Look at the 33rd verse. And there we saw giants, the son of Anak, and it said, and we which come of the giants and we which were in our own sight. Look at their perception. Look at their perception. He said, we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Now, it's one thing for somebody else to look down on you. It's another me measure of unbelief altogether when you look down on yourself. And so they're saying that we are grasshoppers in their sight, and we can't do it. And they created such unbelief amongst the people of the 12 spies. But the full record there is, is that testimony was held only by 10 because there were two that saw the same thing but perceived it just a little bit different because they had a revelation that the other ten did not have. Let's read their testimony very quickly. These two men are Caleb and Joshua. And so Caleb, in the midst of all that unbelief, stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to possess the land. 
Let's read again. Now Joshua adds his agreement. Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, they rent their clothes when they heard the unbelief, when they saw the effect of ten men sowing unbelief in the ears of all the multitude and how everybody's heart was wrenching inside of them and wanting to go back to Egypt and, and wanting to stone Moses and all of these things. And, and so now Caleb and, and them are tearing their clothes and here's their testimony, here's their sermon. Thank God for Joshua and Caleb. The land which we pass through to search it, it's an exceeding good land. And the Lord, but look at this, it's a good land and if the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land. He will give it to us. It's a land which floweth with milk and with honey. God, if he is for us, he's going to give it to us. Only rebel not against the Lord. Don't fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. See, the other sin that we're like a grasshopper in their side and they could consume us. But two men saw life differently because they understood that they were sons of a covenant promise that God had made to Abraham and it gave them a perspective about life. They believed that if God be for us, then who can be against us? And they believed that if God would go in front of them, he said, then the defense of those nations would depart from them because the Lord is with us and we should not fear them. Glory to God. What a powerful revelation of a remnant, of a remnant. You can find the principle of a remnant everywhere. But in this passage, what I'm showing you is that all of Israel, remember what Paul said in the ninth chapter, the sixth verse? He said, all of Israel is not of Israel. So some believe and others are in unbelief. Does that make sense today? And you can even see, not even at the time of the Apostle Paul, not even Jesus' own conversation. Because you remember what John the Revelator said in his, uh, uh, in, in his gospel as he opened the chapter, the, uh, the, he opened his gospel. He said he came, Jesus came unto his own and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God. So both in Jesus' day and in Paul's day, there was a remnant, but it was always a remnant. There were always a host that were of the natural heritage, but the true heritage were those who believed. Oh, thank God for faith today. Come on, somebody. Thank God for the positive power of faith in our lives. So as I closed last week, I closed very briefly with the aid of my board and my terrible artistic talent was exposed to you as I drew the olive tree. We're going to go to Romans 11. Time was getting away from me as it is today, but time had gotten away from me and I couldn't take you to these passages, but I want you to go to this passage because this is our vein that we're going to conclude with today. We're going to see. It's very important. Romans chapter 11. Does anybody remember the exhortation on the olive tree? the picture of the olive tree. Let's read this. Paul gives us an analogy. He wants you to understand this. He wants Jews and Gentiles to understand this. He wants us to realize that we've been made one new man, united together by a common faith in Christ Jesus, and we've therefore become heirs to the covenant promises of God. Oh, hallelujah. For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is holy, if the root be holy, so are the branches. 17th verse. And if some of the branches be broken off. And so Paul is teaching us through this analogy that those of the natural lineage of Abraham who do not believe are broken off. To allow, he's using a wild olive tree as a metaphor to teach us that we've been grafted in among them. And with them, we're going to talk about that. It's going to be the heart of what I'm going to share with you. Partake of what? The root and the fatness of the tree. Let's go further. We're going to read all the way to the 24th verse. Our exhortation is don't boast against the branches. This is not anti-Semitism here today, right? We're not against the Jewish people or the Jewish culture in no capacity. Because if you boast... You bear not the root, but the root thee, he said. You're not being supported by the root then if you boast against them. He said, thou wilt then say, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. That's the understanding that we should have. 
Well, because of unbelief. So it concludes a warning. Because of unbelief they were broken off. And thou standest by what? Get that down in your spirit. You stand by faith. Not your own merit, not your own works, but by faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. God has created for us works that follow faith. Faith is what brings us access to God. But don't be high-minded, but what? But fear. Don't allow arrogance to enter into your heart. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed, lest he also... Come on, that's a great warning for us here today. 22nd verse. Behold the goodness and the severity of God on them which fail severity, but towards thee goodness, if thou continue... I want to continue in his goodness. You know, we sing it here, God is good all the time. Come on, his mercy endureth forever. Continue in his goodness, otherwise thou shalt be cut off. Continue in his goodness. And look, back to national Israel, Israel of the flesh. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. How many of you know God can graft them in again if they will believe? Right? And if their hearts open up, then they'll be added back to the tree that they were broken out of. 24th verse, For if you were uh, cut out of the olive tree which is wild by nature and were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these which be the natural branches be grafted in to their own olive tree? So here again today, and I want to bring up a couple of pictures that I think will help you in understanding. Paul again is using this image of the olive tree which represents Israel, but not national Israel or Israel after the flesh, but the promise that was made to Abraham and to his seed. And he said that this image is that as Jesus Christ received the promise because he was truly the promised seed, as he shared in Galatians 6, and to all who believe, both Jew and Gentile, then the Gentile is added in. The Jew continues in the tree that he was already a natural heritage of, but to all the Jews who don't believe, then in essence they are broken off. But they can be regrafted in if they will what? If they will believe. Let's put the image up here, Phil, if we can, real quickly. Somebody, Mike, Mike would you hit that real quick on the, the, the lights just for a second? I want people to see this very carefully. And I just want you to see this is the image of, a, of an olive tree and the grafting process. You can see, we'll turn over one more, the second picture. You see the stump. And you see where branches had previously extended from the stump. But the master gardener had come and he had cut off... Are y'all hearing me? The branches. And he had taken another branch and he's grafted it into the tree. And now what was two is now, oh, Jesus of Nazareth. Come on, somebody. Here's an image right there closer so that you can see because the value that now is given to those who are the Gentiles is that because we've been grafted in, we don't have to establish our own root system because there's already a root system in place that's historical, that's blessed, that's got favor, that's got faith, and you and I immediately begin to bear fruit upward because we've been grafted into an established system of root that's been buried deep in the promises of God. Hallelujah. Turn the light on real quickly. Now, I want you to look at the 17th verse for just a moment because here is where the mechanism begins to be active in your life. When you have the revelation, when you and I have the revelation and it is clear to you that you, even though you are of, not of the natural lineage of Israel, but because of Jesus Christ and the blood of the cross and the redemptive price that was now met, you and I are grafted in historically into this, this, this faithful lineage and together we become one new man. He said, well, here's a privilege that's been given to you. You can now participate partake of the root look at that you can partake of the root and the fatness of the tree 
And so here's what I believe that that means. The word fatness in Greek there simply means oiliness or plumpness or richness. It's the richness of God's goodness. You and I as wild olive branches grafted into this historical root, the root of the faith of Abraham extending from the trunk which is Jesus Christ. We are grafted in and so therefore you and I are now by faith able to receive of the divine favor of God, the divine blessing of God. We can have faith to trust the Lord in every season of life. Come on somebody. We are totally different from a carnal world because we are called out out of the world, uh, we can gain instruction, we can glean from the Word of God the things that we have seen in the Word of God, the things that we have read both in the Old Covenant and the New Covenant because the New Covenant was given to us by the pen of Jews. Are y'all hearing me? And so whether it be old or new, we can extract life out of it and begin to bear fruit with it because we've been grafted into this olive tree. My God, that's a good word right there. That begins to give you faith. The faith cometh by hearing and hearing of the word of God. See, ancient Israel had received covenants. They had received promises. Some of these were temporal. Some of these were eternal. They were blessings. They were precepts to live by. They were examples of faith. We learn how to be obedient. We gain courage. We gain instruction. We look at their successes and we look at their failures and we therefore glean from their livelihood and it empowers us to walk godly in this present age and walk in the blessing of God. Let me go a little bit further because I've only got a few heads nodding, but I want you to see this today. I want you to understand that as a pastor, I have in my own personal life, see, I have a twofold role. I have a pastor that stands in front of you that desires to be a teacher of the people of God. I want to encourage you. The Bible says, be an example unto the believers. But then I also am just simply a child of God. Not only am I pastor by office, but I'm a child of God by faith and I have a divine heritage and I have to work these things out in my own life. And I've learned these principles through prayer, contemplation, and meditation, and they're woven into my life. And so, therefore, I can trust in them. They're hidden down deep in my spirit. And so, the, the Father is able to give me life through them. I want you to look at Psalm 103 for just a moment. And he's going to bring these up on the screen just real quickly because these are available to you and I as beneficiaries of the covenant promises of God. You say, well, the Psalms were written by David. That was the Jewish people. It doesn't matter. That's our heritage. Come on, somebody. I'm gleaning from that tree. I'm drawing from their anointing. I'm drawing from their calling. I'm drawing from their revelation. So when David said, bless the Lord, oh my soul, I can't sing very well. I can't carry a note. I can't play a tune on any instrument. But deep down in my spirit, I can sing a song to the Lord that says, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Glory to God. I'll bless you, O God. Second verse. I will bless the Lord and I will not forget all your benefits, God. I will bless the Lord because you have forgiven all my iniquities, God. I was a stranger and a foreigner. I was a sinner. I had committed sin. I was born with the nature of sin. God, I was distant from your covenant, but you brought me in. I confess my sin and you forgave my sin and I'm going to live in the power of that forgiveness. I hear people all the time have a misquoted ideology, mis understanding true biblical principle. I'm going to just scratch the surface of it today and but I won't go there. But I just hear people say all the time, you got to learn to forgive yourself. Well, no, that's not really the biblical principle. You got to learn the power of his forgiveness. And when you understand that the judge, you're not the judge, he's the judge. He's the one that can say you're acquitted. He's the one that can say you're justified. He's the one that can say you're righteous. And when he stamps you as righteous, nobody anywhere under heaven and earth can call you unjust again. He forgave you your iniquities and he heals all thy diseases. Glory to God. And look what he'll do with your life. He'll redeem your life from destruction. He will crown you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Fifth verse. He will satisfy your mouth with good things so that thy youth Come on, somebody, is renewed like the eagles. Listen, we don't have to dry up on the branch, become an old dried up prune somewhere. Come on, we can fight that aging process by faith. Glory to God. 
That and a little just for men will go a long way to keep you looking young. Let's go to the 17th and 18th verse, I believe it is, real quickly. I think it is. Is that what I said? I want you to just see that. And if we don't, that's a, but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto his children's children. 18th verse, such as keep his covenant. Do you believe in his covenant today? And do you walk in that covenant as a revelation of good works? So anytime, I've got one other passage I've got to share with you and a couple things and I'm going to conclude. But I'll tell you, anytime God quickens a word in your heart and you gain faith from it, and it causes you to overcome as he overcame. Let me tell you what just took place. Your faith drew from the root and the fatness of the tree. I'll tell you what, let me give you, let me show you. Miss, you've heard me quote, I've done this in the past, but I, I, there's always, this is like Walt Disney. This is the vault. You know, you ever see that? Why do they open the vault? You're like, I've seen Snow White a hundred times, so I don't need, there's always a new generation. Right? I can quote from the Lion King. I can. I've seen it that many times. But there's a whole new generation that what's familiar to you is new to them. Right? Psalm 128 is one of my favorite psalms. Because at the heart, I've told you before, God destined Pastor Brown to not be a pastor. God called me to be a dad. And I saw this verse of Scripture years ago with my very first baby girl, Ashley. I saw this and I wove it deep down in my spirit. And I began to quote it and meditate it and I took it to my prayer chamber and I have spent countless times underneath a prayer shawl like this and I'd take that word and I'd quote it and I'd say, Blessed is every man that feareth the Lord that walketh in his ways. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands, happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Third verse, for thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine. All the times I prayed that God make my wife sherry as a fruitful vine by the side of my house. God, I bless her today in the name of Jesus Christ. God, I'm satisfied with the breast of the wife of my youth. I don't have to drink water out of another cistern. Come on, somebody. I've got blessing in my own house. So my children will be like olive plants round about my table. They're going to be blessed at whatever they set their hand to do. They're going to draw from the root and the fatness of the tree. Thus shall the man be blessed that fears the Lord. Uh, and the Lord will bless you out of Zion, and you shall see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Uh, and so you as a father, you as a mother, you as a grandparent, uh, you as an uncle and an aunt can take these principles of faith. Uh, and you can say, God, I'm blessed with faithful Abraham, uh, and my spouse is blessed. Uh, my children are blessed, God. I'm blessed coming in. I'm blessed going out. I'm blessed in the storehouse, the field, and the basket, God. Whatever I set my hand to do, God, I'm going to be blessed. The enemy may come in one way, but he's going to flee seven ways, God, in the name of Jesus because of the divine favor of God. And I will live to see my children's children and peace upon... Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Just a revelation that is made to your spirit when you say, well, Pastor Brown, those are ancient promises recorded in an antiquated book that belonged to the Jewish people. That's your mindset of unbelief. But my mindset is that's a living promise made in the living word of God to all those that have been grafted into a living tree of faith and so therefore if I believe I'll live in them and it will produce life in me. Glory to God. And so today I want you to know that you can be grafted in to the olive tree even if your life feels like it's a mess right now. And we live in a generation when a lot of people live in brokenness, confusion and contention. Let me tell you a secret right now. God is not the author of confusion. If there's confusion all around you, then Christ is not seated on the throne. Because I'm telling you, if he is in the center of your house and your household and you're exercising faith and you're trusting God, you will bring all that foolishness and all that contention and all that strife to a screeching halt. And you'll say, this house has the favor and the blessing and the peace of God upon it. Come on. And if you don't rise in faith and take hold of the promises of God, then you'll live life without them, and you'll live a life that's unfruitful before God. Guard your heart today, church family. A couple of things in closing today to just tell us about the power. Did you know this mystery of being grafted in is not even new to the New Testament? 
ancient Israel was getting ready to take the promised land after 40 years of wandering and that group of men and women that didn't believe died and their children came in. They sent out spies again one more time to spy out the land. This time they went to the first walled city that was on the other side of the River Jordan. It was called Jericho. Does anybody remember that? Two spies found a place to stay in a harlot's house. The Bible says that harlot's name was Rahab. And she hid the spies in her house. Y'all remember that? It's in the Word of God. And when they... When the men came to look for her, the king and the soldiers, she hid them up on the roof of the house, and it was on, her house was on the wall. And when they left, the men needed to get out, and they couldn't go back into the city. She took a scarlet thread, a scarlet rope, and she tied it in her, in her casement window, and she lowered the men down, and she made them promise. She said, you promise me that when you come to destroy this city, and I know God's given it to your hand, she was already believing she was already believing in the God of Abraham. She said, God has given you. We've heard about the exploits of your God and what he did to the Egyptians. And we know that's why the hearts of all of our city leaders are in fear. And she said, promise me you'll spare me and my household. And those men looked up from, that, from the ground and said, you better tie that scarlet thread in the window. And when they came back in and destroyed the city, Joshua gave instruction and he said, destroy everything living in the city. It was complete annihilation except for Rahab and all her house. It's a powerful mystery. And the Bible says that she was delivered because she hid the spies in peace and she trusted in a scarlet thread. But here's what's so awesome about this is that God allowed Rahab to then live amongst the Jewish people and not only live amongst them, she got married to one of them and she actually became the great, great, great grandmother of King David. Glory to God. My God. Now, two generations below her is the story of another Gentile woman. This woman's name is Ruth. She's a Moabitess. Her, her story comes to us during the days of a famine. A man by the name of Elimelech, because of the famine in Bethlehem, he moves to Moab to escape the famine. He brings his wife and his two sons, Malon and Chilion. And while there, they get married to two Moabitess women. Oddly enough, they both die and Naomi's husband, Elimelech, dies. And just to summarize it very quickly, Naomi makes a decision. She's going to go back to the land of her nativity. One of the daughters, Orpha is her name. She kisses Naomi, and she goes back to being a Moabitess. Did you know what a Moabitess is? A Moabitess is a sun worshiper, a pagan, idolatrous woman, and she went back to her lifestyle. But Ruth said no. She said, Naomi, she said, she clung to Naomi, and she said, Naomi, where you go, I will go and your people will be my people. And listen what she said. She said, your God will be my God. And when she offered that faith right then, God grafted her into the olive tree. And it wasn't long before the beautiful Moabitess caught the eye of a wealthy landowner by the name of Boaz. And before it was over, he had married her, produced offspring by her, and it became the great-grandmother of King David, another Gentile woman, even before the cross is grafted into the olive tree because God wants you to know no matter how messed up your life is, put your faith in the cross of Calvary and God can make a change. Glory to God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, I got to close right there. I'll just keep going on and on. I'm going to tell you one last story and I'll ask Daryl to join me on the platform. I have a principle today and that principle is we are the Israel of God by faith, but we must draw from the root and the fatness of the tree. Do you know what that means? That means these blessings, this faith, this obedience, this righteousness that's produced in you. You are blessed to be what? A blessing. You're blessed to be a blessing. How many of you know that'll cause you to live your life differently? It will. It'll cause you to establish relationships differently. See, I'm not going to let people come in in my life that's going to sap my spiritual life. I, I, I'm not, you're not putting all that junk on me. Well, come on, I'm just telling you. I learned even as a pastor, I, I can't absorb all your mess. It took you a lot of years to, to make it. I can't fix it for you. I can point you 
in the direction where you can find full redemption. Come on, somebody. And that's through a revelation of the work of Christ on the cross. Remember where this series came. I told you last week, standing in the uh, checkout line at F.L. Davis, hearing a lady behind the counter watching a news channel when she saw something about Israel and some of the conflict there, and she said these words. She said, oh, I wouldn't mess with Israel because that's God's chosen people. And I thought to myself, knowing that she is a professed Christian, her perception was that's God's chosen people and she doesn't really know what the power of the cross has done. We are a chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood. We've been grafted into the olive tree. The reality is, I'll share more of this next week probably, natural Israel still sits in unbelief. National Israel, they have the flag of Zionism and all those things, but they live in unbelief. One of the things that we learned, I'm telling you a story in closing. One of the things that, that we learned while in Israel, in our tour there a year ago, two years ago almost now, was these principles that we knew, I, I don't know, they became so much more real when I saw the deadness of Judaism. Judaism is the modern-day religion of the modern Jew. They don't have a temple. They don't have the practices of the temple, so they have Judaism, which Judaism is diversified in and of itself from reform, conservative, to orthodox. So there's different, all different branches of Judaism. But one of the things that Jojo gleaned, Shane gleaned, I, the others, was the deadness. The deadness. There was no life in it. They were going through emotion. They were, they were praying a process. They were trying to trust in a God that they didn't understand where he was located because he used to be in the temple, but now he's not in the temple. And they're trying to find him. They're worshiping in him in ignorance. And they're not believing in the door who came that all men including the Jews, could come to the kingdom of God. Well, one day, one day when we were there, I can't remember, we were near the Wailing Wall somewhere. You could see it. I don't know exactly where. I was approached, and I wasn't the only one. All of us were approached by an Orthodox Jew in full garb, round-brim hat, black, or black round-brim hat, black overcoat, and throw me that, Janice, would you, real quickly? And every Orthodox Jew, you're going to have to work on your throw in there. Every, every, every Orthodox Jew wears one of these underneath his clothes. And you can typically see these out from under there. Well, they're young and old alike. But they were on, they were on this, I was, it, was a, it was like a large concrete stairwell that we were on. And they were petitioning the American Christian tourist, because they know most of them are Christian, for a dollar. If you give them a dollar, they would say a blessing over you. Well, I'm going to have some remorse. I was already a little bit frustrated. I'm not real good on welfare anyhow. In that sense, I saw there's sometimes there's some needs. I'm not totally against every bit of it, but they had told us about Orthodox Jews and that they don't, they don't work. They believe their job is to just stay home and study. So they're on, and so it's kind of a contentious in, in Israel. So I was already kind of knew that already. And, so was, and then I was already seeing the deadness of it. And so usually I'm not somebody that says no. If you ask, I usually give. That's why I asked Jojo to be the benevolent pastor at our church because I usually give away all the money. And he does a far better job of saying, well, let's talk about this. And so, but in that moment, I know it was just a dollar. And looking back, I wish I had at least give him a dollar. And he would have prayed for me. But I would have put a condition on it. And I would have said, okay, here's the dollar. You can bless me, but then I can pray for you. Now, if he had prayed for me, his prayer would have probably been something like this. Yahweh God, 
who used to be in the temple, but now I don't know where you are. I come before you as a broken off branch. I stand in the backdrop of a covenant that was fulfilled and completed. And even though I'm frustrated with this American Christian being in my national homeland, I'm going to pray because he gave me a dollar, a blessing upon him. Perhaps that's what his prayer would have been like. But if I would have prayed for him, I could have said, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I stand before you righteous by virtue of the blood of Christ spilled on the cross. And I recognize the man before me is a broken off branch. But you said in your word that you can regraft him back into the olive tree. So God, I pray that when this man is reading the Torah, that when he reads Genesis, he will see Jesus Christ as the ram caught in a thicket by his horns. That God, when he reads Exodus, he will see Jesus Christ as the Passover lamb. God, when he, see, when he reads Leviticus, he will see that there is a priest that stands in the presence of God for him. God, when he reads Numbers, he will see, my God, that Jesus Christ was the serpent on a pole in the wilderness, that all who have been bitten by sin will look to him. When I be lifted up, I, come on somebody, I will draw all men to myself. And lastly, God, when he's reading Deuteronomy, he will hear the words of Moses when Moses said, A prophet like unto me shall the Lord thy God raise up. God, I pray for this man that he will see Jesus as the covenant promise of Israel. But I missed my moment, and so I prayed for him in private. But I will pray for you today that if you've been broken off, you can be grafted in. Our heads are bowed and our eyes closed in the presence of the Lord this morning today. First of all, if you're here today and you hear me preaching and you say, Pastor, I want to be included in this family of God. What a day, Orphan Sunday. Your life may feel like you're an orphan. Feel like you don't have a family, don't have a belonging, don't have a place, don't have a people, don't have a father. I'm telling you, you do. You do today, but you have to believe. You have to trust in him today. And I'm willing and I desire to pray with you today if you're just simply here and you say, I would like to be included in the family of God. Would God add me to his family? He will. I'll pray with you at this altar in just a moment. Quickly slip your hand up if that's you. Anybody here today in the sound of my voice this morning from my right all the way across, I look, is there anyone today? Number two, number two here today, anybody that says, Pastor Brown, I just want you to come and to join with me and others and let's just stand in the power of prayer and agreement that my life, that in my life I will begin to draw from the root and the fatness of the tree today. Pastor, would you take the anointing that's upon your life and would you pray for me today that I will have the faith to draw from the root and the fatness of the tree. Is that you? Raise your hand up today because I want to pray with you. If there's anyone, I'll be courageous enough. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Some hands are. I want you all to come forward. If you raise your hand, it takes great courage. I know. Church assembly, y'all stand up as they come forward today. Let me do this in dismissal. They're coming forward for prayer. Here's how I'd like to conclude this service this morning. First of all, thank you so much for being here. Be blessed as you're dismissed to live life with the knowledge that you've been included in the family of God. Come on, and you draw from the root and the fatness of the tree. When you leave today, be very reverent to those that are praying. If you'd like to come and pray.